though we're, we're not free and clear of all temptation to sin, we're not perfected in willing only the good, we nonetheless have a new life in Christ. Yes, we struggle with sin, we fail often, but in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, question answer eight, it has the question, but are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer is yes, unless, yes, unless we're born again by the Spirit of God. You're listening to episode 135 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues, all from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchabord, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Dr. J. Mark Beach, professor of doctrinal and ministerial studies here at the seminary, begins to look carefully at the theological issue of free will by asking the simple question, do believers have free will? Do Christians have free will? Many Reformed believers I come across feel confused or are hesitant in how they should answer that question, and the confusion's understandable because many believers have been taught that there's no such thing as free will. I've been asked from time to time to offer explanations about this, and in class settings I also get this question. And so it's helpful to ask what we mean and what we don't mean in affirming free will. So I'm going to affirm that Christians do have free will, but then circumscribe that and define it carefully. Perhaps we do well to distinguish between exercising choice in ordinary matters, like deciding to order a cheeseburger, that versus exercising choice in spiritual matters that are of life and death importance, like trusting in Jesus for salvation or denying him. Humans, even as fallen in sin, are still choice makers. Humans are always making choices. Each and every one of us follow our own dispositions and desires. Many of those desires, sinful desires, or at least disordered desires. And we make choices according to those dispositions and desires. Recently, I was uh, at a shoe store looking at shoes and I was trying to make selection, and I found myself liking certain styles and looks of shoes, whereas other people would like them. My dispositions, my inclinations are different than other people, but I did end up buying a couple of pairs of shoes that matched my own disposition. I made choices according to my own desires and preferences. And this happens all the time. And we just happen to find ourselves having innate dispositions and affections for certain things. Some people uh, choose to play golf on Saturday, for example, because they love being outside. They like the challenge of the game, things like that. Other people will go shopping on Saturday. Still other people will watch sports or someone might enjoy doing yard work in the backyard. But 
Each and every one of us are choice makers, and we pursue things freely according to our own desires of our hearts, our inclinations accordingly. Now, that that kind of sets a background to something. Some of our inclinations and dispositions are driven by sinful habits of the heart. And sinful inclinations drive sinful activities. Such habits of the heart that are sinful show up in the sorts of decisions we make and the things we choose and desire and do. And without God's intervention, we find ourselves unable to act different than our own sinful nature. Yet even when we exercise a sort of freedom to do what we want, that is us doing our desire. It is us choosing what we want. But we don't have the freedom to free ourselves from sinful desires. And that's why we can talk about a bondage of the will, a bondage of our nature. What this means, then, is that given our sinful dispositions and habits of heart, and before we are reborn or regenerated as believers, we're not free to make ourselves love God or trust him or live for him or even desire him. And in this sense, our heart and will is in bondage to sin. What this means, therefore, is that given that that sinful condition, in that sinful condition, sinners make choices that accord with their sinful desires. Sinful desires and dispositions are a kind of enslavement, for sinners cannot of themselves undesire their own sinful desires. They can't unwant their sinful wants. They can't disincline themselves to their own sinful inclinations. And in relation to God, unsaved sinners are dead in sin, the Bible tells us. Their desire for God is dead. Their will to love God is dead. They cannot will themselves to a different disposition or, or, or change their aversion to God, not from their own resources. And this is the bondage of the will, and in that sense, people— prior to regeneration, uh, prior to spiritual rebirth, are rightly said not to have free will. They are not able to rescue themselves, change themselves, or desire contrary to their own sinful desires. They can't decide from themselves to love God, to walk with him in obedience and faith and, and fellowship. They remain people who exercise the choice of their desires and habits of heart. And those habits of heart, being the choice makers with those that kind of disposition, choose against God. Uh, they do not do their heart's desire. Uh, rather, they do, excuse me, they do their heart's desire, which is a sinful desire. And that sort of freedom then is death, not life. Maybe an illustration of this is uh, helpful. Think of a fish out of water versus a fish in water. A fish in water, of course, is in its natural environment. It swims about happily, naturally, water flowing through its gills. Therein the fish can thrive. It's free. But a fish out of water flops about the shore 
unable to swim, struggling to breathe, it's helpless, and left that way, it will die. It is unfree. Now, what's the point of talking about that? Well, human will is a bit like that, that in one kind of condition, it's free. In another kind of condition or state, it's in bondage or unfree. This is something that St. Augustine made famous long ago when he proposed what was called the fourfold state. That is, we can think of ourselves as human beings in four kinds of situations. Adam in paradise, for example, finds himself in a state of innocence. He's unfallen, without sin. But in that state, he was able to sin. This is a state of freedom of will, but also a state of the ability to lose that freedom or compromise it. Then Augustine talked, secondly, that after Adam fell into sin, there's another situation that emerged. Now, Adam and all human beings in Adam, Adam being cast out of paradise, finds himself in a state of corruption and guilt, fallen, befouled by sin, and now unable not to sin. That's a state of bondage of the will. A third kind of state Augustine mentions next is because God brings rescue and restoration in Christ to sinners. There's a a circumstance in which as believers now, as believers, we find ourselves in a state of rebirth and new life, a state of grace. And believers are able to, though they haven't yet arrived in a state of glory, But in this new state, they are able to fight against sin. That is, they're able not to sin, though they still sin, and often. But they're able not to sin. And finally, there's the state of glory that Augustine talks about. Here, believers have come to heavenly bliss, and they've been transformed in the twinkling of an eye. They've been made perfect, and now in that state, they are unable to sin. So these four situations, able to sin in innocence, not able to sin as fallen, that is, not able not to sin, sorry, Uh, then in a state of grace, able not to sin, though we often do, and then in a state of glory, not able to sin. This is the fourfold state. Now, what we're asking here, do Christians have free will? When you're talking about Christians, you're talking about people who've come to faith in Christ out of that second state, but now have arrived at a state of grace. So that believers on earth are in that third mentioned state, and they, though they often sin and struggle with sin, also begin to experience able not to sin. And it's only believers in glory who have arrived at the last state. And, of course, no one today is like Adam before the fall in a state of innocence. Now, given all of that, given that kind of fourfold state, that that apparatus there, we discover why we can talk about both not having free will and having free will. In the state of innocence, God designed us with free will. We are choice makers, 
and relative to choosing to trust God, to walk with God in obedience, we were designed to freely do that. Out of our own motives and dispositions and desires, we were created to love God and fellowship. And that was our innocence, our state of innocency. However, in that state, we were still in a state of fallibility, of able to fall away from, from that. In the state of sin, with the fall, that ability to walk freely in love with God was taken away, it was compromised and destroyed. In the state of sin, we're in bondage to sin. So it obliterated our freedom to will or to want the things of God. It didn't take away the ability to be a choice maker, but it did take away our ability to want and to will the things of God. So as fallen people, we're in bondage to sin, to dis evil dispositions, and as sinful people, without new life and rebirth, we don't want God. We don't desire God. We meet people like this all the time. Nor do uh, we want fellowship with God. In fact, if we're not born again and remade as believers, we resist God. We deny God. We even hate God. We chase after idols. We're in bondage. This is the bondage of the will. And in that sense, we don't have free will. That is, as unsaved and fallen people. Sin, though, again, didn't take away our ability to be choice makers because we're constantly making choices. Even as, even if a person's an unbeliever, they choose between black socks or the gray socks with the embroidery going up to the side. They choose to exercise on the treadmill or the ellipsis machine or not to exercise at all. We're constantly making choices but we make choices in accord with our desires, our strongest desires and preferences. Now, in a state of grace, things change. There's more to the story. In that state, which means we're talking about Christians, real believers, we have been freed from a bondage to sin by God's grace and enabled freely to will and to do what is spiritually good. Though we're, we're not free and clear of all temptation to sin, we're not perfected and willing only the good, we nonetheless have a new life in Christ. Yes, we struggle with sin, we fail often, but in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, question answer eight, you might remember this, it has the question, but are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer is yes, unless. Yes, unless we're born again by the Spirit of God. The totally unable to do any good inclined toward all evil is our state of sin without Christ, without rebirth, without grace. But the unless, unless born again into this state of grace. This is the enabling grace of God that he performs in us, changes us, heals us, helps us, remakes us, so that we are now, <laughs> contrary to totally unable, now we're enabled. Again, the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 114, where it says, our obedience, feeble as it is in this life, with all seriousness of purpose, we began as believers to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments.
So how should we think about the work of the Spirit bringing us to rebirth? Well, if you wanted to use the words of the Canons of Dort, you would think about the Spirit bringing us to rebirth like this. The Holy Spirit, through the gospel, performs this miracle work, a supernatural work in human fallen human beings. What he does is he penetrates into our inmost being. He opens our closed hearts. He softens our hard hearts. He circumcises our uncircumcised hearts. He infuses new qualities into our will. The dead will he makes alive. The evil will he makes good. The unwilling will he makes willing. The stubborn will he makes compliant. In fact, the Spirit activates and strengthens our once fallen will so that like a good tree, the freed will is enabled to produce the fruits of good deeds. That's the Canons of Dort, Head 3-4, Article 11. It's important to see how remarkable this is. It may be likened to a resurrection from the dead. That's also the Canons of Dort, Article 12, under the same head. It is a divine miracle, marvelous, hidden, inexpressible, most powerful, pleasing, Its effect upon us is to bring us to actual faith in Jesus. Yet, and here's the big part, in doing all of that to us, God also does something else in us. Our will itself is renewed so that it's both activated and motivated by God. In being activated by God, it is itself active. Faith is a gift of God. We receive it from God, and it is something we now do. We believe. We believe because we exercise will to believe and live for God. We exercise will to believe and to repent. That's Canons of Dort, Heads 3-4, Article 12. And this is our freedom of the will. Yes, believers have been restored and exercised, enabled, excuse me, to exercise free will. Yet we still are entangled by sin, uh, though we no longer are in absolute bondage. We are still sin strugglers, to be sure, our whole life long. It's a battle, but there's also an enabling, a deliverance from that former bondage. And it's only in a state of glory then that we as believers totally put off uh, sin and temptation to sin. And you might say our righteous uh, life catches up with our righteous state in Christ. So in, in summary here, back to our original question, do Christians have free will? Yes. Reborn of the Holy Spirit, under his renewing work, being new creations in Jesus Christ, enjoying this renovation of heart and will, Yes, we have free will, but that doesn't give us any reason for boasting, for arrogance, for self-assurance. We only have a feeble, frail, and infantile uh, level of this freedom for faith and obedience. We know how weak it is. We still struggle with sin daily. We often find it easier still to choose disobedience and doubt than obedience and faith. We've been delivered from our former bondage, truly so, everlastingly so, but we haven't yet arrived at glory. So as humans, 
We never lose our ability to be choice makers. But what's changed for believers is that our heart and will is now under renovation, which means our desires and dispositions are being transformed and renewed as well, which then enables and frees us to choose for the things of God. Fallen people, they exercise their choice under a broken nature, a fallen nature, not a renewed nature, and so they are in bondage. They have bondage of the will, not free will in that sense. So it's our privilege. We freely choose to do what God gives us. We're not like fish out of water, flopping on the shore, dying. We're like fish in water, free to thrive and live truly live. We've heard Dr. Beach respond to the question of whether Christians have free will, but what did someone who played a significant role in our Reformed heritage have to say about it? Next week, Dr. Beach looks at John Calvin's cautions about free will. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.